You're listening to a Sovereign Hope Church podcast with pastor and teaching elder Adam Vinson. If you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to turn to Luke chapter 16. Luke chapter 16. So we've covered uh, five different parables or groupings of parables since our last application Sunday. So we had finished up our sermon series in Psalms, jumped into the parables. You'll remember that we talked about, um, or Adam McLeod presented to us the very first week, that the purpose of the parables is to further reveal or further blind the hearer to the truths of God's kingdom. So for some people, it's further clarification. It, it gives clarity to what they're already seeking to know about God's kingdom. For others who are rejecting God's truth, it's further blindness, further confusion. So if you're genuinely desiring to know, then the parables help reveal further God's kingdom. If you're skeptically rejecting already, then the parables are probably going to be confusing. And that's, that's from Jesus' own mouth, right? He reveals that purpose to us um, in Luke 8. Uh, the parables don't need to be dissected too much, right? We don't have to overcomplicate them. We need to seek to understand the main point without pressing the other details too much. Now, Adam taught once, Tyson taught once, Marcus taught once, and I've taught twice. So uh, a whole lot of parables have been covered with a different perspective from different teachers. And so what I hope you have seen, though, over the past five weeks is some continuity and consistency with even the themes surrounding the parables that have been chosen. We've seen themes like riches, stewardship, relationships, and just the need for proper perspective about all of those things. Now, here's how I'm going to group our recap today. Instead of going in chronological order, I'm going to group them by theme. And so we're going to start by looking at Adam McLeod's teaching from five weeks ago, but then we're going to look at Tyson's teaching from last week grouped together with Adam's. Then we're going to look at Marcus's and then my last two sermons that I've done as well, just to help you see how they all fit together. So Adam McLeod kicked things off with what's known as the dishonest manager from Luke chapter 16. So that's where you should have turned in your Bibles, Luke chapter 16. And this is the parable that talks about um, the individual who was made manager by a rich man, and we're told that he wasted the master's possessions. We're not told exactly what it was that he was doing, but he is criticized for wasting the master's possessions. And so what does the master do? It says, verse 2, he called him and said to him, what is this that I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management, for you can no longer be manager. So he's removed from that position And then we see what was described as shrewdness by the manager. He goes and begins to uh, work the situation to basically take care of himself once he's fired. So he goes to these individuals who owe his master money, cuts them a deal, um, gets them to pay money, right? And he's earning goodwill with those individuals. And so he's commended by the master at the end of the parable. And then Jesus gives further information about what this means. But from the summary sentence standpoint, how believers fulfill their roles as God's stewards and the handling and use of his wealth reveals where their desires and priorities are placed and proves their ability to handle greater eternal responsibilities within his gospel purposes. Um, The key word from this parable, as I was listening to Adam's sermon and taking notes, is that key word being the, the word shrewd. Um, that the individual is commended for being shrewd. Now, Adam's definition that week was good powers of judgment or showing clever resourcefulness in practical matters. Basically, it's the idea that the, the, the manager looks around and realizes, okay, I'm in trouble. 
right? I've been held accountable. I need to do something uh, based on the knowledge that I now have that a day of reckoning is coming. I'm, I'm losing my job. What will I now do with this information? And so the challenge to us from this parable that Jesus gives is, are we being a shrewd steward with what has been given to us by our master, right? What Jesus is doing here is he's talking to his disciples and he is calling them to be resourceful with the resources that have been given to them. Are they going to waste the master's stuff, right? The idea being here that everything in our life is owned by God, our income, our time, our possessions, our skills, our relationships. These are gifts that are given to us by God. And the expectation now is that we would use those in a resourceful way for his kingdom. I love what Adam said in his sermon about faithful stewards represent their masters, not themselves, right? So the manager in this story, he doesn't technically really own any of this stuff. It has been given to him by the master to steward well, and he's not stewarding it well. The correlation for us is that anything that we have, any relationship that we enjoy, spousal relationship, child relationship, parent relationship, the income that we have, the house that we have, the cars that we drive, the jobs that we work, the hobbies that we enjoy, the skills that we have, those are resources given to us by our master because we're not capable of producing any of that on our own. God has gifted those things to us and now the expectation is that we use them for his purposes. The resources given to you are God's. The question is, how will you use them? Adam did a great job of dialing us into the question that the the manager even asks of himself. What shall I do? He looks around, he assesses the situation, uh, understands that a day of reckoning is coming, and he asks himself, what shall I do? And that's when he exhibits the shrewdness here. The stewardship concept is a fundamental concept of following and belonging to God's kingdom. And so I want us to to really dial in on that thought today. How well are we stewarding what God has given to us? That shrewd concept is that as stewards, we recognize how to use his resources based on an eternal perspective. Right? We are shrewd stewards for God if we get what really matters. And what really matters is not the temporary. Right? We're looking to an eternal home, an eternal perspective. And we want to bring people along with us. Right? And so the idea being is that we use whatever's been given to us to bring others to the kingdom as well. Being shrewd, being able to see and be aware of what's going on around us, where history is headed, being aware of what's been given to us and not selfishly hoarding it, not storing it up, but using it for gospel purposes. And the idea, too, in this parable is that the more faithful we are, the more will be given to us, right? That the master will entrust us with a greater capacity to be useful to him as we show faithfulness. Now that leads into Luke chapter 12 where Tyson had us last week with the, um, the, the rich fool, right? The individual who has been given much but isn't using it for gospel purposes, right? So Luke chapter 12 verse 13. Life is more than the abundance of earthly possessions, so we must be on guard against all covetousness and seek to be rich in God. 
Luke chapter 12, uh, verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And then he tells this parable of a, of a rich man who, who continues to get more rich. And he's trying to figure out what to do with all of his riches, right? And in verse 18, he said, I will do this. I'll tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I'll say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. This is the opposite of what we saw from the dishonest manager. This is the opposite of shrewdness. This is an individual who doesn't get it, right? Because you continue to read and Jesus says, the fool has failed to see that his soul will be accounted for right? I'll say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up. You have plenty of years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. The things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. In the midst of growing in our riches, we can't lose sight of the need to be thankful and generous stewards of what is given to us. Tyson talked about how those concepts are missing from this guy's reaction. It's not bad to be rich and to get richer, but you see no concept of thankfulness and gratitude towards God. You see no desire for generosity. You see no desire to use the riches for the good of others. It's just simply storing it up for his own betterment. And if we become self-focused with an eat, drink, and be merry perspective, we are living as though Jesus is dead. I'll remember that for a long time from what Tyson said last week. Because if you go to 1 Corinthians 15, 32, Paul says the only reason you should have that eat, drink, and be merry perspective is if Jesus is dead and if souls aren't raised. So if there is no life after this life, then yeah, we should enjoy this life to the fullest. We should make as much as we can and we should enjoy it to the fullest because there is nothing after. But we believe there's something after, right? And so it, it makes living for this life seem, seem silly or foolish if there's a life to come. Our eating and drinking, everything we do should be done as a steward doing something for the glory of his master. That's what 1 Corinthians 10, 31 tells us. Whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, you do it for his glory. So Tyson challenged us to remember that our time is short, to repent of covetous desires, to be on guard for covetous desires, and to realize that our identity is not what we own he did a great job, too, of taking us to James, James 4 and really showing us that covetousness is a gateway sin to other sins, right? James 4 talks about how people are led into hatred and murder and fighting and arguing that springs up from a covetous desire, wanting what they don't have, not being content with what they do have. This rich fool tries to hoard as much as he can instead of using it for gospel purposes. He's not the shrewd manager. He's not the individual who says, you know what? God has given to me this stuff. I'm going to use it for his purposes. I'm going to use my master's stuff to bring people to him. So the application from the, from the two sermons there would be to use what we have for relational purposes that lead to eternal goals. Use what we have to build relationships with other people for eternal goals to be a good steward now, to be a greater steward later, right? We're reminded in that dishonest manager parable, little areas where we're faithful lead to greater areas that we can be faithful. 
that we have to show faithfulness in the little things to be given more. And then being rich in the right currency. It's kind of where Tyson took us last week as well. The idea that uh, we don't want to be rich with the earth stuff. We want to be rich in good works. We want to have the right currency. Um, I remember growing up, my dad used to take me to the same barbershop every time I got my hair cut in Fayetteville. It was Rocky's Barbershop. And I don't know if you've ever been to Rocky's Barbershop. It's shut down now. But it was uh, a, a mixture of all kinds of weird decor in this barbershop. I mean, you had dead animals. You had um, sports-type stuff all over the place. Um, it was just a really, a really, really comfortable place for me because I enjoy a lot of those things, right? So I'd sit there and I'd dream about shooting animals like this. I'd reminisce about the, the sports memorabilia that was there. But I always thought it was weird because there was a bumper sticker there that said... Um, so I didn't get it wrong. It said, uh, save your Confederate money. The South will rise again. I always thought like, what a, weird, what a weird bumper sticker. But what the meaning of that is, is that when the North and the South were fighting in the Civil War, once the North won, the South's money had no value. Like it was, it was completely worthless. It had no value attached to it anymore. So you could have been rich prior to the ending of the Civil War and all of a sudden be dirt poor because if your money was tied up in the Confederate money, it had no value the next day, right? And it kind of reminded me this idea of being rich with the right things. We want to be rich in the things that last beyond that final day of judgment, right? Because we could be rich with all the world's things, but when Jesus comes back, that stuff will have no value moving forward. It's going to be burned up. It's going to be torched. It's not going to carry over to the next. We want to be rich with the right currency, rich in good works. Luke chapter 14, Marcus took us to uh, what he titled the great reversal. The kingdom of God establishes a great reversal where honor is no longer achieved through human effort, but through humble submission to God, demonstrated by a willingness to serve without excuse those who are unable to repay. Now, here's where the correlation is. These first two sermons that we've talked about were all about the riches of this world and how we're using that. Are we using it for selfish purposes? Are we using it to serve for the kingdom? What we can't be guilty of is trading in our boasting of riches for boasting of good works, right? So you've got the one extreme where the individual is not really concerned about good works, is all concerned about possessions of this world. What we don't want is to become then like these individuals that are highlighted here from the Pharisaical group where they were so intentional with good works that it became a point of boasting too, right? Being rich in good works doesn't mean that we build up our good works in hopes that we'll be paid back for it. But that's where the Pharisees had kind of landed. They were self-righteous in their feelings about their good works, not about their, their earthly riches, but about these good works that they had accomplished to where now they were in a position where they felt like they could do no wrong, and they were heightened in their criticism that others could do no right. And if we're not careful, we'll fall into the same trap, Right? We'll recognize that we don't have a whole lot of earthly riches anyway, so it's easy not to get too tied up in that. But if we're not careful, we'll go to the other extreme and get so wrapped up in the obedient acts that we try to do for God that that becomes a source of boasting as well. And we will begin to view ourselves as individuals who can do no wrong because we've done all these good things. And then we will also view others through the lens of, 
they can do no right because they're not as good as me. The Pharisees had become so prideful over their spiritual list of duns that they couldn't see what was still left undone around them. And Jesus confronts them head on when the guy with dropsy shows up and, and, and he's healing him on the Sabbath. But he knows, Jesus knows in their hearts they're criticizing him because he's doing this on the Sabbath and that's a big no-no. So he begins to tell these parables. So Luke chapter um, 14. He starts by telling the parable of the wedding feast. Now he told a parable to those who were invited when he noticed how they chose the places of honor, saying to them, when you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in a place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And he who invited you will both come and say to you, give your place to this person, and then you will begin with, you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit in the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. The parable talking about whether we seek to gain honor ourselves or do we let honor come to us by those who give it. The parable of the great banquet follows, um, where the individual is told and challenged not to invite friends that will repay, but to invite those who can't repay. To give a feast, to invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. He then talks about the individuals who reject the offer to come to the feast, and so the the manager or the the owner then has to go out and, and find anybody that will come because his friends have rejected coming. I put in my notes, don't try to seize honor you think you deserve. Let others who bestow the honor see it for themselves and give it to you. That's true for men and for God, right? We don't need to try to seize honor in our earthly relationships. Let earthly people give us the honor if they desire to do it. We don't have to fight for honor from God. We can let him give as he so pleases. We don't need to question whether God can see what we've done for him and whether we deserve honor for it. As we talked in the Psalms, he sees everything and he is the source of all good. So if anything good is gonna come to us, we can't go get it ourselves. We need to trust him for it. I think also tied up in this uh, conversation is that we don't serve others just to be served back. It's not that we view others as a transactional type relationship, Marcus talked about, that we serve those who can't serve us back. If thanks is our aim, Marcus told us, then we're going to always come up short. We're never going to be thanked enough if we do things for thanks. We also don't want to miss out on the most important things due to misplaced priorities. These people give excuses for why they can't come to this guy's banquet and they miss out on something. They're left out looking in. That leads us to Luke chapter 15, the parables of the lost items, right? We talked about the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. And we said that week in both our lowest of lows and our, high, and our lowest of highs, God remains both generous and gracious in his dealings with repentant sinners inviting us to come and enter into the joy of his salvation. So again, we've talked about people who were rich with earthly things. How do we use those things? Now we're looking at people who are potentially rich in good works and not becoming prideful of those things either. Instead, being humble to see that what we get from God and what we do for God is all a privilege that we don't really deserve. You'll remember in Luke 15, 1 through 2, these parables are, are sprung 
because of a misplaced concept that the, the Pharisees have about tax collectors and sinners coming. It says, now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. And that wasn't a good thing to them. It should, we, talk, we talked about how it should have been a great thing. Wow, God is willing to welcome the worst of the worst to forgive sinners, to, to invite them into fellowship with him. Instead, it was a criticism. How dare God welcome these people? And so these parables are meant to show us that God finds great joy over repenters. Sinners are welcomed. We see this specifically in the prodigal son story. I told you that the lost sheep and the lost coin set us up for the prodigal son story. Here's an individual, a son who runs away from his father thinking that goodness can be found outside of him. And then when he hits rock bottom, he realizes his dad is good and wants to come back. And he finds his dad running to him. And we said that God welcomes us when we come back to him. He runs to welcome us. But I cautioned you to not be like the older brother. Be careful of finding fault when God's grace is experienced by others. We're great at claiming God's grace for ourselves. Usually we're hypercritical of others getting God's grace. We need to be careful of that. We need to be careful of feeling underappreciated by God. That's where the older brother was. He felt like, I've done so much for God, like how could he not be honoring me? Why would he be honoring this wretched sinner? Instead, we need to be a good steward and trust his increase will come if it's right for us. And then lastly, Luke chapter 7 and Luke chapter 18. We looked at what it means to be forgiven of much. In Luke chapter 7, verse 36 Jesus has a sit-down dinner with the Pharisees, and it's at this setting where the woman shows up who's a sinner, a known sinner in the community, and she brings her alabaster flask of ointment and breaks it on Jesus's, uh, or breaks it and begins to wipe Jesus's feet with it, crying, cleaning his feet. Why? Because his feet hadn't been cleaned by the Pharisees, right? He hadn't been shown proper hospitality, so as she comes to see Jesus, she offers up the proper hospitality to him. And Jesus rebukes the Pharisee for not doing what she was willfully doing. And, and to, to show the Pharisee why she was willing to do it and why he wasn't, he tells the parable of the, the two debtors, right? And so verse 41, a certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? The Pharisee reluctantly had to say the one with the greater debt, right? The idea being here is that the Pharisee didn't see himself indebted to God like he should have. He felt like his good works were overcoming his sin to where he didn't, he didn't owe much to God, that God owed him instead. We need to guard against self-righteousness. We need to guard against self-righteousness. Our summary sentence for this week, I will love Jesus and others to the level I understand God's forgiveness in my life, meaning the more I focus on what he has done for me rather than what I've done for him, the more I will love him and the better I will treat others. I'm going to love Jesus, and I'm going to love others to the level I understand God's forgiveness in my life. The, the more I focus on what he's done for me and not what I've done for him, the more I'm going to love him and the better I will treat others. When self-righteousness creeps in, though, we start to think too highly of ourselves and too lowly of others. And it leads to minimal obedience. I put in my notes again, how I see myself treated by God 
will drive my treatment of him and others. The more I see myself forgiven, the more I'm going to love him back. So my two sermons and Marcus's, I think you kind of see some correlation there that, that we need to be willing to serve those outside of our normal circle of comfort, even those who won't thank us, and that we need to be aware that the goodness uh, that, we're, that we're working and doing is not found in ourselves, and it's certainly not ever found outside of God, but only in him, right? So we don't, we don't come to God with our goodness, um, and we don't go looking for goodness outside of God. That's what the prodigal son does. He thinks he can find goodness away from his father. no. Our Father is the source of all goodness, and we come to him for it. And we need to be careful. Be careful that you aren't going to be on the outside looking in when Jesus and his people are feasting, because at the end of Marcus's parable and the end of the the prodigal son parable, what you find is people outside looking in at the great feast. People who did not come in. They were invited to come in. They were going to be welcomed in. They chose to stay on the outside looking in. We don't want to get to the end of all this and see ourselves on the outside looking in. So that's a quick recap of, of five sermons on multiple parables. Again, some, some common themes that we're seeing there, uh, that we're blessed with things here on this earth, and we need to be good stewards of it. So riches and stewardship. We're also in a spot where as we work for God and build relationships with others and we're seeking to perform good works, that we can't get to a point where we become boastful of those things either. Right? We, can't, we can't find our security in our good works. We don't find security in our earthly riches. We don't find our security in good works either. Right? Instead, we, we, we use the things that God has given to us to serve others, whether we're ever thanked for it or not. A proper perspective about how we're to be using the things that God has given to us and how we're to even view the good works that are accomplished through us by the Holy Spirit. Now, I want to give you two things to remember and two things to do as we leave today. This is our point of of application Sunday where we remember what we've heard, but then we do something with what we've heard as well. The two concepts that I really want you to hone in on for remembering. Number one, the way God treats me far exceeds how I should be treated, which should cultivate humble gratitude rather than entitled resentment. If you're like me, I'm prone to think the opposite of this. I'm prone to think that I'm not being treated like I should be as though I deserve more, right? None of us are treated like we should be, and we can be thankful for that. But most of us fall into this grouping where we think we should be treated better because we deserve it. We think that we have done enough to warrant God's specific favor to us. Now, again, I told you a couple weeks ago, we absolutely should expect God to do good to us as his children. He has obligated himself to do that. He has promised that he has to be faithful to his promises. That's not an unfair expectation to say, my father has to be good to me because he's promised to be good to me. He doesn't have to be good to me because I deserve it. He only has to be good to me because he's promised it. But he does not have to be good to me in specific ways. Right? And that's where we fall into the trap of thinking that if God doesn't do this for me, or if God doesn't give me this, or if God doesn't work in this way, then he's not being good to me. He does not obligate himself to be specifically good to us in specific ways. And we fall into this trap sometimes of thinking that we deserve it, just like the elder son in the prodigal son story. We think that we have done something. Remember, he comes to his dad and says, I've served you faithfully. Where's my robe? Where's my ring? Where's my party? 
right? We have to be careful that we don't think that God is treating us unfairly unless we remember the fact that he is treating us in certainly the ways that we don't deserve because we deserve his wrath. And if it weren't for Jesus, that's what we would receive. So remember, the way God treats me far exceeds how I should be treated, which means I should have humble gratitude rather than entitled resentment towards him. Number two, the things God gives me are meant to be used selflessly for his kingdom with a sense of urgency and intentionality. That goes back to that shrewdness piece. Urgency, intentionality, realizing where everything is headed, not being content to store everything up in barns, but instead to to unleash the barns and use what God has given to us to bless others, to encourage others, to serve others, to be urgent about it, to use it for his kingdom purposes. What do I do with these two concepts? Remembering that God treats me in ways that I certainly don't deserve and being thankful for that remembering that the things God gives me are meant to be used for his kingdom. Two things to do as we leave. Number one, let the treatment that God gives to me drive my treatment towards others as I seek to serve and forgive those who don't deserve it. Man, our lives should be characterized by doing things for others who don't deserve those things. And if we're not careful, we fall into the trap of doing the exact opposite of this. Just like the individual who's rebuked for only inviting people to to, to come into his service that can pay him back. And Marcus did a great job of reminding us, hey, it's not about don't have your friends over to your house, right? You should absolutely enjoy the community of your friendships. But don't become so exclusive that the only people that you ever spend time with or ever serve are people that will do it back to you. To open your life to a bigger circle of influence to where you are seeking to serve those who, who don't deserve it or who can't pay you back. To forgive those who don't deserve it, to model what God has done for us because we don't deserve his forgiveness. We're, we're the prodigal son who, who went and squandered and wasted and ran from his goodness and now we come hobbling back hoping to find maybe an opportunity to just be a servant for him and he welcomes us as a son or a daughter. We don't deserve that. We're like the the tax collector who's beating his chest saying, be merciful to me, God, a sinner. I don't deserve it. Whereas the other Pharisee sitting there saying, God, here's all the things that I've done for you. Thankful, thank you that I'm not like this, this tax collector. And we don't deserve the treatment that he's given to us. So when you're tempted to not give to somebody, right, you're not, you're not gonna give them forgiveness or you're not gonna, gonna give them of your resources because in your mind you've deduced they don't deserve it. Like they haven't done anything to warrant me forgiving them or they haven't done anything to to warrant me serving them. That's where you need to have a flash in your head that says, you know what? God treated me that way though. I didn't didn't deserve it from him and he gave it to me. How could I withhold it from someone else, right? We serve those, we forgive those who don't deserve it because we've we've been treated by God in ways that far exceed what we deserve. Number two, Focus less on what you don't have and more on what you do have with a goal of stewarding it well for gospel purposes. Again, if we're not careful, we focus far too much on the things that we haven't been given 
right? And that entitled feeling starts to spring up about, why hasn't God done this for me? He's done it for my, my friend or my, my, my coworker or, or this acquaintance that I have. Why are they getting things that I don't have when I'm far more faithful than they are, right? That's where that self-righteousness starts to say, I'm always right, and that person can never be right. They can never be good, and I'm always good. And we have to focus less on what we don't have and more on what we do have, right? Embracing that, that, that steward mindset, that, that shrewdness that says, okay, here's what I have to work with right here, right? Would it be nice to have this? Oh, yeah, but I don't have that. Would, would I have great ideas and plans for how I would use this? Certainly, but I don't have that. Here is what God has given to me. How am I going to be intentionally stewarding these things well, the relationships that I have, the resources that I have? How am I going to use those for gospel purposes. I think this is where these past five sermons have really been building to. The idea that we see God's treatment of us and it drives our treatment of others. We see the things that God has given to us, the the wealth and blessing that he has bestowed to us. How will we use it for others? I encourage you to ponder these four truths, the things to remember, the things to do, to not be a hearer of the word, but to be a doer of the word, to apply the things that we've been learning. Let's turn our attention now to partaking of the Lord's Supper. If you didn't um, grab the elements in the back on your way in, then you can slip out at any point as I'm talking to grab that. They are right outside our door on the table. Invite you to partake. Here at Sovereign Hope, we believe that believers partake of the Lord's Supper, whether you're a member of our church or not. So it's an open table, and you are invited to partake as a believer Um, We would ask those that are not believers to refrain at this time because of what the meaning of the Lord's Supper is. And the Lord's Supper is meant to picture our salvation. It's meant to picture um, the work of Christ in our life. All the things that we've been talking about today, the ways that he has treated us in ways that exceed what we deserve. Jesus came to be perfect because as good as we may try to be, as self-righteous as we may feel sometimes. Our good works are not enough. They're just not. Um, And and Jesus comes to be good on our behalf. He comes to be perfect on our behalf. And and he also comes to die in our place. He comes to to sacrifice himself, to shed his blood where we deserved it, right? There's punishment that is warranted for our rebellion. There's punishment warranted for our sins. And and Jesus takes that punishment for us. He, he dies in our place. He takes God's wrath. He absorbs our punishment. He makes it possible for us to be welcomed into the arms of our Father, right? And not to be rejected. He, he makes it possible for us to come home and to be with our Heavenly Father. And so Jesus comes, and, and we represent that through the, the, the bread that we'll eat today and the, and the juice that we'll drink, his, his body that was broken and his blood that was shed. And that's quoted for us, and and I'll read it to you from, as we always do, from 1 Corinthians 11, verse 23. Paul talking, for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. What is it that we're proclaiming as we partake today? We're we're saying publicly once again that we believe our good works don't work. And we're admitting that we are sinners in need of a Savior. 
that, that we couldn't be just excused on a technicality, that blood had to be shed. And, and what that does is it reminds us of who we are, it reminds us of our condition, and it reminds us of our need. And just as Jesus said, the more you focus on the debt that you owed and the debt that was forgiven, the more you will love him and the more you will love others around you. I mean, you'll feel indebted to him in, in, in a positive way now where you say, you know what? Like, I, I, could, I couldn't be more grateful for what you have forgiven me of. How could I not turn around and live for you and forgive those around me? And so we proclaim today by partaking of the Lord's Supper that we believe those things and that we also believe that he's coming back. Until he comes, we will do this, and we believe that he is coming. And it should give us urgency about the things that we do. It should give us shrewdness about how we handle our life. That we get it. We get what matters. We get that this is not everything. We get that there's a life to come. I'm going to pray for us. Tyson's going to come and play, and we're going to sing together, and you're invited to partake at any point during that time. We want to encourage you to pray and to worship individually. Uh, to be thankful and grateful for what has been provided on your behalf by Christ, to worship him in the partaking of the Lord's Supper, to be grateful, and as we leave today, to use that gratefulness to spur you on to good works for him. Let's pray together. God, we love you, we thank you and praise you that you are a good God who treats us with the greatest goodness possible. And God, I pray that we would be reminded of that regularly, that we would not feel... Um, slighted by you when we look around and we focus on the things that we don't have. God, help us to see what we do have and help us to see that you treat us in ways that far exceed what we deserve. God, help us to look around and see what you have given to us and help us to see that we have a role to play in your kingdom by being good stewards of the resources that you've blessed us with. And God, I pray that we would use those for gospel purposes. Protect us from covetousness. Protect us from wanting to store things up to hoard things and to build a kingdom here that ultimately is going to have no value on the next day after you come. And this world will never rise again and this currency will never have value again. So God, help us to evaluate our currency properly. Help us to be rich in the right things. Help us to be intentional about loving and serving and giving to others that could never pay us back. Help us to be willing to give and to forgive based on how you have given and forgiven us. We thank you for Jesus who enables us to be a part of your kingdom. We thank you for Jesus who enables us to come home as the prodigal son and not be rejected. We thank you for being the great shepherd who came looking for us as your sheep, for being the one who came looking for the lost coin. We know our value exists because you give us the value, not because we've earned it, not because we deserve it. Pray that you'd be honored as we partake today. Help it to be uh, an act of worship that we partake in right now. Not just a, a mundane thing that we do every six weeks, but God, help it to be a, an act of worship where we say yes to you once again, that we are not good. We come to you for good. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Thank you for listening to the Sovereign Hope Church podcast. We trust that you've been encouraged by the word. For more information about our church, please visit our website at www.sovhope.org. Again, that's www.sovhope.org.